Take a look at this picture. This guy that is in the picture in the pink shirt. I don't know why he's in a pink shirt. Anyway, his, uh, his name was Terry Shane. And um, I want to tell you a little bit about Terry. Um, as a matter of fact, I've got a text dialogue in my phone. When we first decided to do this men's conference, we made the decision to do it really at the end of April. And so I'm texting my friend Terry. And I'm telling Terry, I said, man, we're going to do a men's conference here in Grand Prairie. And he responds back almost immediately. And his text is, Greg, I am absolutely going to be there. I'm absolutely going to be there. So I want to not only remember Terry at this conference, but I want to tell you a little bit about Terry and what happened to him. And this all ties together with the word that God has given me to speak. So just hang with me for a, for a little bit. Also in that picture is uh, Terry's wife, Luann. Uh, Luann died of pancreatic cancer about three years ago. And uh, Terry had purchased a, a motor home that he and Luann were gonna travel around the United States in. Unfortunately, Luann never got a chance to ride in that motor home because of the pancreatic cancer that ultimately took her life. But after Luann died, they, they lived in Oregon, and after Luann died, uh, Terry decided that he was gonna move to Florida from Oregon, and um, he was gonna travel down here in that motor home with his mom. So he tells us about it, and, I, and, and we say, Terry, you gotta come and you gotta see us. You gotta come and you gotta see us. So it happens. They pull into Granbury in the motorhome. He, Terry, and his mom on a Friday evening, and we go to meet them over at the uh, at the campground. And we sit around and we spend all day or all evening, Friday evening, and then all day Saturday. And we're just talking to them about Terry and his mom about things that God has done in our life, what God did to bring us to Granbury. One thing after the other, glory to God. And they just sat there tuned in, listening to these stories and really marveling. Now Terry and his mom were not believers. They were not believers at the time. So we told them about what God was doing with Marietta and I. We told them about how God had led us to Granbury. We told them about how God had built our business. We told them about how God had led us to this church. And so on Sunday morning, after the all day Saturday, what I'll call testimony uh, session, on Sunday morning, they come to church with us. And praise God and bless God and thank you all for everybody that welcomed them here. You guys turned out and were so hospitable. So hospitable. It's wonderful. And then afterwards, afterwards, we went up and because they were driving the motorhome, we wanted to go to a place that would be easy for them to get into because they were going to leave for Florida on Sunday afternoon. And so we went up to uh, uh, Rio Mambo up in Fort Worth. They could park their motorhome there. 
Sheikh and, and his wife and Bubby joined us. And I think several others as well, several others as you, of you might have joined us as well. And they sat there at the table with us and they, again, they just marveled about how, about stories of, of how God was moving in the lives of all of us that were gathered at this table. And then at the end of their visit, at the end of their visit, uh, we got on board their motorhome and uh, Terry's mom, we call, we call her mom, Terry's mom's hips were hurting. And so she sat down in the motorhome and we gathered around her and we laid hands on her and we anointed her with oil. Now this lady is a universalist like crazy. She doesn't believe in Jesus, she believes in everything. There's many ways to go to heaven. We lay hands on her and, and we pray over her and God shows up and heals her hips because she calls us right after she leaves. They spend the night in East Texas get up the next morning and they're headed further east into Florida and I get a call that evening and it's both of them on the speakerphone on the road and Terry says Greg and I said yeah Terry Greg listen we've been talking about everything that you guys were talking about we've been talking about your church We've been talking about how you guys prayed for, mom, for my mom and, and, and God healed her, took the pain away. And we've decided that Jesus, Jesus is the way. Just like that. Just like that. I can't even describe to you the, the joy that came into our hearts, you know, when we got that, that word. And I, I have to tell you that from that point forward, from that point forward, it was a challenge for me because this man right here got it. He got it in such a big way. I mean, he would call me up and he'd say, hey, Greg, yeah, Terry. And, it, and this would happen at all hours of the, of the night. Greg, what do, you, what do you think about the scripture? Man, Terry, that's a deep one. I'm going to have to think about it. Okay, we'll get back to me. Hey, 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 Greg. Yeah, Terry. What do you think about this church? We're, we want to find a church like yours. Well, what is it? Yeah, that's a good church, Terry. That's a good church. This guy sold out to the point where he went from zero to 60 in the kingdom in a way that I've never really seen anybody go. This guy would get up at 4 o'clock in the morning and he would drive people to the hospital because they didn't have a ride. For, it would be a two-hour ride to a veteran center in, in Florida, and he would do that. He spent a bunch of his money buying uh, sleeping bags and insect repellent for the homeless people there in the little town that he lived in in Florida. And he'd just go out and he'd tell them about Jesus, and he would hand out the sleeping bags and the in insect repellent and the and the flashlights that he bought out of his own money. I mean, this guy was hard to keep up with hard to keep up with. It was transformational in terms of what God did in his life. When he said yes to Jesus, it was boom! A change. Like I've never seen before. So I texted 
Terry at the end of April. And about five days later, I got a call from mom, actually Marietta received a call from mom. <clears throat> and uh, she was crying about nine o'clock in the evening. And uh, she says, I've got terrible news. And so Marietta immediately goes and thinks, well, gosh, it had to be, uh, has to be a car wreck. They found Terry um, in his condominium there in Florida, um, kneeling beside his bed, praying, but he was dead. He was 66 years old and he had had a massive heart attack. And I mean, this was, this was a healthy man. But I wanted to tell you that testimony, not only because I expected Terry to be here, but because it fits with the message that God has given me to speak to you today. So Terry, we miss you. I wish you were here, but I know where this man is at. Praise God. Thank you, heaven. Let's go ahead and throw that scripture up, Joshua. We know this scripture. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimonies, for they love not their lives even unto death. And the next one, very similar. As a matter of fact, this is another end times prophetic scripture right here. Daniel 11 says, The people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. And today, guys, I declare that, oh, it's Daniel, Daniel 11, 32. There you go. The people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. And today, guys, I, I declare that we sang about earlier about we're going to walk in a world of the lost. And you guys are going to walk in this knowing God, standing firm, and taking action. You will be that agent. You will be commissioned to do that when you leave here tonight. Praise God. So let me just pray over you real quick, guys, and uh, then we'll jump into it. Well, Father, I thank you, Lord God, for these men that are gathered here in this place uh, this afternoon. I thank you, Lord God, that you have called them to be testimony bearers and men of action, Lord God. I thank you, Lord God, that you have called these men and commissioned these men to be overcomers and that they will be used mightily to establish and grow your kingdom here on the earth. In Jesus' name. And all God's men said, Amen. Amen. Okay, so it's interesting that Pastor Olin spoke about, um, he, he, he spoke about spiritual discipline. And that really is speaking to me. And I guess if I had to term what I'm going to speak about, it's, it's maybe... A spiritual anchor. It's something that we can anchor onto in the times that we are entering into here in the world. So today I want to talk about testimonies. And I'm not talking about the capital T testimony. I'm not talking about 
the testimony that comes that, that we think about in terms of how did God come into our lives? How did we receive Jesus? That is an important testimony. There's no doubt about it. But what I want to talk to you about today, guys, is I want to talk to you about the little t testimonies and how do we, how do we really gather those testimonies, those stories about how God is moving in our lives and how God has, has, has shown himself powerful and shown himself to be a living God to us. And how do we embrace that so that we walk in that power, we walk in that assurance, we walk in, in, in everything that God has called us to walk in. We need to embrace those testimonies. So tonight, or this afternoon, I want to talk about how do we possess our testimonies? I'm sorry, prepare for our testimonies. How do we possess our testimonies? And how do we purpose our testimonies? So we're going to prepare, we're going to possess, and we're going to purpose these testimonies that God is doing in our lives. Prepare, possess, and purpose. So turn in your Bibles to uh, 1 Samuel 17. And if you didn't bring your Bible, don't worry about it. We're going to have it up there on the Sky Bible. But uh, I just want to kind of set this set the scene up for the scripture that we're going to use uh, this afternoon. Um, in 1 Samuel 15, and you don't have to go there. We want to stay in 17. But the Lord um, saw the king as really disobeyed God. And so the Lord says, I, re I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me as, and has not performed my commandments. Thank you, Joshua. So at that point, it's all over for Saul. God has made his decision. And continuing on, we see that Samuel fills up his horn with oil, He's commanded to go to Jesse, the Bethlehemite. And um, God tells him, go over there, because there is a son over there in the house of Jesse that is going to become king. So Saul goes over there. I'm sorry, Samuel goes over there. And uh, Jesse parades seven of his sons in front of him. And every time... Samuel says, no, that, that's, that's not the guy. Not the guy right there. Nope. Good looking. Not the guy. And Samuel finally asked Jesse, and he says, in 1 Samuel 16, and he says, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. So the youngest son is alone. I want you to catch this. The youngest son is alone and he's keeping the sheep. He's not even there. Okay. He's a shepherd and he was out there by himself. It's important. Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Looking at David. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And catch this. And the Spirit of the Lord 
rushed upon David from that day forward. So first, David was anointed with oil that probably, well, really, more importantly, David had the Holy Spirit of God come upon him at this time, at this point. Now, I want you to catch this because this is really something that God has been talking to me now. David is, at this point, from here on, David is living in a, a part of his life where he's between the spirit and the crown. Are you catching that? Yeah. He's got the spirit, but he doesn't have the crown. He's got the spirit. And, and, let, and brothers, it's where you are right now. Most of us, if you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, you're between the spirit and the crown. Catch it. I think some of you guys need to catch that. We're headed for a crown, brothers. We've got the Holy Spirit on board right now. And that makes all the difference for us. I want to set the stage. And you know the story. I mean, really, hey, man, this is a men's conference. I'm going to preach it. The army of Israel is arrayed against the army of the Philistines in the Valley of Elah. And every morning and every evening, here comes the champion of the Philistines. You know the story. He comes out. Oh, man, here he comes again. It's Goliath. And he challenges anybody from Israel to take him on. And this occurs for 40 days. These guys are just, man, come on. Can you just imagine it? Really? Again? Here he goes. And they're shook up. In the interim, David, the youth who has been anointed, who now has the Holy Spirit on board, he's been commissioned by his dad. He says, he says, hey, go up there and take this food to your brothers that are encamped with the army of Israel and also take some to the captains of their unit. 1 Samuel 17, 26. David gets there. He sees what's going down with, with Goliath. It's been going on for 40 days. David says, and David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should divide Defy the armies of the living God. I like how he referred to God. He's the living God. Catch it. He's the living God. David said to Saul, your servant, down in 34. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for, used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God, the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Okay, go. And the Lord be with you. 
And so David turns to meet Goliath, and he says, This day, in, in 46 and 47, This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give you the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly, all this assembly, may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. We know the rest of the story, really, right? right. I mean, we've heard it since we were kids. So, I want to talk about who this David is in terms of preparing, preparing you and I, preparing for our testimonies. Okay? Well, the first thing that comes to mind, and it's really easy to see, is that David, we know that David was, had spent time with God. You cannot write the things that we see him write in the Psalms without recognizing that here is a man that literally was spending a time communing with God. Preparation time with God. In Psalm 8, David writes, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? So, so David literally spent time with those flocks, but I think really what he was doing um, as he was watching over the flocks at night is that he literally was looking up at the sky and, and as Pastor Olin uh, talked about earlier that we look at God's creation and we recognize who he is. And I think that he was making declarations like this psalm and he was saying, you are awesome God. Hmm. And what happens in response to that every time that God hears that? He's looking down from heaven as David is seeking him, and he is saying, and you are awesome, David. You are awesome, David. It's a back and forth. This is how God relates to us, and I think that this is really what we miss today in this culture sometimes, guys. You know, I mean, obviously David had plenty of time to spend with God in, in an alone situation. And I know that it's a challenge for us in this day and age to be able to get that kind of time with God. But I would challenge you guys to purpose to do exactly that. Well, how do you do it? This thing here. This thing here can be a blessing or a curse. I'm just telling you guys. I mean, I carry this in my pocket. I'm in business. I got a lot of companies. I have to make sure that I'm using this thing properly in order to spend time with the living God. I covet the windshield time that I get when I drive from here to the ranch. Now, I'm going to tell you that I do not do business. I spend time with the living God 
during those hours that I'm in the car. And I would challenge you guys that we that's exactly what we need to do. We need to discipline ourselves to make sure that we are carving out those little snippets of time. I'm not telling you that you have to spend time the way David did overnight looking at the heavens, but I would say that you need to make sure that you're purposing to sit under. There's great preaching that you can access here. Sit under the word. Put some worship music on that just speaks to you and say, man, God, you are awesome. But don't let this thing get away from you. Do not let this thing steal that alone time that God desires to put in you as you prepare to, to take on your testimonies. If you do that, you'll be ruined. Just say the second thing that David did in terms of preparing for his testimonies was that he considered, he understood, and he spent time fit, being filled with God's word. David writing in Psalm 119, and I'm just going to use a few selections here because Psalm 119 in particular is powerful about this. How can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word? I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Your word, Lord, is a light lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And on and on and on it goes in, in Psalm 119. And one of the reasons that I exhorted you earlier today with this reading plan is because we as men in preparation for our testimonies need to get the word in us. Why do we need to get the word in us? Because God is speaking to us and he's saying, do you know that I can do this? Did you know that I can do this? Do you know that I have done this? And when, you can't come when it comes time for you to possess a testimony, uh, testimony you're going to be relating it to what you have seen in his word, you're going to understand the awesomeness of the living God. That's right. Amen. Amen. So the second thing that we need to do in preparing to give our testimonies is to get into the word. And the third thing uh, in, in terms of preparing for our testimonies is, and I think that this is really related to what Pastor Olin has been trying to get across to us thus far during this conference, is that we need to become, um, to take on an attitude of praying in a directed manner to God. And I'm not talking about uh, a manner that would be the, the word of faith, name it, claim it type prayer. That's not it at all. Not it at all. What I'm saying is that we need to begin to develop a lifestyle, guys, of, of praying to God like it's a matter of fact. It is integrated into our lives because when you pray to God and you say, God, you know what? This is going on in my life. I need your help. What you're doing is you're literally positioning yourself to say, God, here I am. I am insufficient. I want you to participate. Show yourself mighty. All you're doing when you pray in a directed manner to God, you are inviting God to be part of your life, part of the solution, part of what is bothering you. Are you getting that? 
It's a powerful concept. It's not name it and claim it. Oh Lord, give me a Cadillac. Oh no. Oh no. But oh Lord, this is an issue. Lord, this is an issue. I'm dealing with this. It may, it may be even an area of sin in your life that you want God to say. And you just say, God, I know that you're bigger than this. Cast it away. Lord, I've got problems in my marriage and I know that you're going to take care of them. And then when it when it's on with your wife, you're praying that prayer. Lord, participate. Help me. Do this. Show yourself mighty. Be the living God. It's powerful. So let's talk about possessing our testimonies for a minute. I've got three points there. The first point is that in order to possess our testimonies, we really need to have the proper motive, the proper motive when, we, when it comes to acknowledging the one, the living God, who gains for us the victory. You know, a lot of us, um, and, and particularly men, a lot of times, okay, I'm going I'm to just say me. Oh, me, there is a lot of times that it's all about me. It's all about me. But if I have the proper motive in possessing my testimony, what I'm doing is I'm actually saying, it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about the living God. It's about the living God. I really, I really um, enjoyed Pastor Olin's illustration. I told him that, you know, he and I were actually on the same page in terms of the passage in Luke 17, the passage that he cited before, what fascinates me about this is that Jesus heals the lepers. Jesus says, go and be clean. And who comes back? It's the Samaritan that actually comes back. And, it, and Luke says, and with a loud voice glorified God. And then a few verses later, he says, and Jesus says, were there not any others? Who came to give thanks except for this foreigner? Yeah. So what we want to do is we want to make sure that as we possess our testimonies, we're gathering these testimonies and we're saying, you know what? These are areas that God gets the glory. Every time you see God do something for you, you say, you know what? That was God and God gets the glory because he participated. He was the solution in my life. So we have... The proper motive. David, in the in the account in 1 Samuel 17, David declares that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear. And who was being testified to? Who was being testified to? All this assembly. So it doesn't just include the nation of Israel, the army of Israel, but it's the army of the Philistines that are going. Oh, yeah. And later on in the story, they are rapid. They get their rear ends kicked. But the living God was testifying through the victory that was given to David, and he was testifying to the Philistines as well. All this assembly was getting the message. And all of this assembly, everybody will get the message when you give glory to God for what God has done in your life. 
The second point, and it's really kind of related to the proper motive, but it is we, we, we possess our testimonies because we have a right heart. And I have to tell you, brothers, that I really st struggled with this point. I really struggled with this point. I mean, I know that David had a right heart. The word tells me in 1 Samuel 13, before we even know who David is, the word tells me that God tells Samuel, the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And so what does that mean? Man, I am struggling with that term. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And I believe that this is at least a component of that, guys. You need to hear this because it's very important. I think that the right heart means asking God for a restored heart. Look, guys, as we are raised up, as we are raised up, we are taking shots. People are casting curses inadvertently. In some cases, you know, you can get cursed by somebody that you go to church with. They can tell you something like, man, you are never going to do that. And when you receive that when you're nine years old and you're in a church situation or you sat under the, the kind of teaching that I sat under when I was a kid, which was hellfire and brimstone, I knew that I needed a restored heart because I received all of that curse. And I'm afraid that some of us in this room need to pursue a right heart by asking God to restore us to that childlike heart where we're communing with God, we're communicating with God, and God is literally saying, yeah, you are my holy and beloved son. I love you. I love you. I love you. Remove the curses. Remove the scarred heart. Remove the, remove the aged heart. Remove the cursed heart. And let's return to a childlike heart. I think that we will see that if we do that, I'm not saying to be naive, brothers, but a childlike heart, a heart after God is a restored heart where we're receiving the promises that God has for us. If we do that, the word says, truly, Jesus tells us, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. I declare this afternoon over you guys that are listening to this message that greater works will you do. Hallelujah. The third point in terms of possessing our testimonies is this. We've got to have the correct vision. The correct vision. You know... David, uh, David arrived on the scenes after 40 days of the army of Israel being chided by Goliath. And you have to know that every day, every day that he came out, every morning, every evening when he came out, the, the, the army of Israel, they were looking at him. And how were they looking at him? They were looking at him based on his size and based on his armor 
and based on just how physically imposing he was. Whoa, here he comes. And that bred fear, and that fear paralyzed those guys. Here comes young David. He hasn't experienced the 40 days of this chiding by the Philistine Goliath. And so he comes in, and he looks at this, and he goes, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? This guy has got to go. It's a matter of fact. There's no doubt. It's going to happen. The young man, armed with the Holy Ghost, looks. He's got the correct vision. He says, This is not a problem. I know the living God. The living God is on board. And he, the living God, is going to take care of this. For his glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So we, we, we need to get to a point where we understand that we need a testimony. We need a victory in our life. But we can't pursue it the same old way. We're going to walk up to it with fresh eyes, the eyes of God. And we're going to say, God, you're bigger than this. Yeah, this is imposing to me. But you're, you got this one. You got this one. New vision. New vision. We're going to have victories in our lives, and we're going to, as we gain more and more victories, we gain more and more confidence. We gain more and more understanding that God is an overcomer, and he's working in our life as well. Praise God. Praise God. We know well, Ephesians 3 says that he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. All that we ask or think. You know, I work on the railroad, and... Uh, and I've got a friend here who's a railroad guy as well. And uh, one of the things that happens on the big railroad is that uh, every once in a while, for a reason or, or one reason or the other, uh, the train crews that are operating across the territory, they'll say, hey, we've got to take this power switch, the switch that aligns the tracks and makes the trains go through a siding in the main track. We need to take this at the hand throw. And I have to tell you, that what they're doing is they're actually taking the power back from the dispatcher. The dispatcher has the big picture over all this territory. And when you take a switch and hand throw on the railroad, it can disrupt everything. I mean, it can jack you up. Hours of delays because of that. Is that true? It's true. Because the guys that are on the ground, they don't have the big picture. The dispatcher is looking at his entire territory and he doesn't want to give up that control. I mean, it's a last resort, but let me tell you something, brothers. We have taken that control. We have stepped out of the vision of God. God has the big picture and we need to re regain that vision. Walk in the vision that God has. Hallelujah. So the final thing that I want to talk about is purposing our testimonies. So here's what I mean by that. Um, when we see or experience firsthand in our lives that God is moving, we can't help but be encouraged. Okay? Can't help but be encouraged. When we see God move in our lives, and we need to take note of that. We need to embrace it because God has done that for his purpose. Let me give you an example. There are, there are times that, that somebody will come up for prayer, even here in the church service, and they'll say, you know, Greg, uh, 
I'll just give you an example of, um, I've, got, I've got cancer. Well, you know, I always want to make an assessment to make sure that, that it's okay for me to do this. And I asked God very quickly to speak to me about this. But we have testimonies of God healing cancer, removing tumors, and actually restoring people's bodies completely. People that have gone in to, for surgery and they look for the tumor and it's no longer there because God has removed it. We prayed about it and we give glory to God because he's removed the tumor. So I am able in those situations when God says, yeah, it's okay to tell them about that, you know. I'm able to say, you need to be encouraged. Here's what we know about that. God has done this. We have seen God move in this area. God has healed cancer. We're going to pray the same way for you. Now, conversely, right now, I am walking through a situation where I've got a, I've got a, I've got a family situation that is messed up. Messed up. Really bad. And I, don't, I really don't want to share it with you, but uh, it's one of those things where I have to cry out to God and say, God, you're going to have to fix this. And it encourages me to hear something like Pastor Olin preached earlier today where, where I hear about God restoring a, a family relationship that I think at this point I can't, I can't deal with. Am I praying about it? I certainly am. But to hear this kind of a testimony conveyed to me, I know that God can handle it. I know that God can handle it. So this is a two-way street. This is a two-way street. I'm gonna, I am going to use your testimony to encourage myself, and I want my testimony to encourage you. Make sense? So the first thing about purposing our testimonies is so that we can encourage each other. Praise God. The second thing about encouraging our, uh, our purposing our testimonies is evangelism. Evangelism. 1 Samuel 17, 58 says, And Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Now, <clears throat> this is an interesting passage here, if you look at it on the surface, because this is Saul asking David, after David has killed Goliath, he turns to him and he says, Who are you? Whose son are you? Now check this out. In, in 1 Samuel 16, David has been assigned to service in Saul's house. He has been the armor bearer. He has been the comforter to Saul. There is no reason for Saul to ask this question after the Philistine has been killed. So why is it? Why is it? Let me tell you why it is. Because people want to get close. When they see a move of God, they want to get close to it. They want to go there. Yeah. It is the most effective evangel that you will ever have is to have a testimony of how you, how God has, has provided victory or God has worked in your life. You can, you can beat them over the head. You can go down the Romans road. You can condemn them with the violations of the Ten Commandments. 
But the most effective evangel that you will ever have is the testimony that God has provided victory in your life. People, particularly now, people want to get close to that. They want to get close to that. Who are you, young man? He knows who he is, but he wants to get close to the anointing and the spirit of God that caused David to say, you are out of here in the light. He wants to get close to it. And this is exactly what we experience with my friend Terry. He saw what was going on. He heard the move of God in our lives. He saw the peace and the joy and just the confidence that we walked in because God had provided victory after victory after victory and we give glory to God, not to ourselves. And then you get that call. You know what? We decided that Jesus is the way. I didn't have to preach one word of scripture. Not one. This is a powerful evangel. Our living God moving in our lives. Let's make note of it. The final point that I want to make in terms of purposing our testimonies is this. That our testimonies, brothers, are enduring. And here's what I mean by that. The enduring testimony looks like this. Um, it is multi-generational and it is culturally significant. It exists across time. I preached a message of, a few years ago called Stacking Up Stones. And the, and the purpose of that message was to kind of paint the picture of what happened when the children of Israel moved across the Jordan and, and God gave them very specific instructions as they moved across the Jordan on dry land. He says, hey, each one of you tribes, pick up a rock, carry it to the far side in the into the land that I'm moving you into and stack them up. And then Joshua says, well, why are we doing this? And they, or the people say, well, why are we doing this? And Joshua says, well, we're doing this so that when our children look at that stack of stones, they're going to remember what God did for us when he led us through the Jordan. How he led us into the promised land. This is the enduring purpose of our testimonies. They are multi-generational they are life changers for us. You need to be making note of the testimony of the victories in your lives that God brings. And you need to be telling your kids about them. You need to be telling your kids about them. I told this story uh, last night to some guys, but when I was about six years old, my grandfather in Georgia died. And I wasn't there. He was a, he was a, dirt farmer, a tenant farmer in South Georgia, poor as poor could be, 13 kids. He died. I didn't get to go to the funeral, but I got to go there about to Georgia about a year later. And I was sitting on my grandma and grandpa's bed. And I was an honorary kid, man. So I'm sitting there and my grandma is right next door. She's in the kitchen. And I'm sitting on the bed and I'm just, you know, being goofy. And she looks at me and she looks down and she says, boy, I said, yeah, Granny. 
I think the reason she called me boy is because she had so many grandkids she didn't know who I was. <laughs> Seriously, I mean, 13 kids, man, there's some grandkids going on. But she always called me boy. She says, boy, I said, yeah, Granny. She says, you're sitting there right in the same place that your grandpa was sitting when he died. I said, I am, Granny. Yeah, you are. You are. And she comes and she sits down beside me. And she puts her arm around me and she said, you want me to tell you how it happened? I said, yeah, Granny, I want to know. She said, he was sitting right there like you're sitting there. Says, I was sitting in the kitchen the way that I was just doing right now, and she says, he said to me, Lily, come here and look at this. The angels are gathered, coming to gather me away. Look at this, Lily. The angels are coming to gather me away, mm. and he laid over to his side, and he died right there. And my grandma told me that story. And I have a testimony that I'm telling you right now that we don't have anything to fear in regards to death. Amen. The angels are going to come Praise and you. gather us up. Hallelujah. It's going to be a mighty thing. I hold on to that when I see somebody pass away. I have that testimony that is multi-generational that I can refer to. It is a rock that I can look at and say, God is so good. He ushers us into his presence. His angels come to gather us up. And I believe that that's the case. These are not people that were given to exaggeration. These were people of dirt. There was no lies going to be told there. So, anyway, so our one of the purposes of our testimonies is to establish an enduring a culture of enduring testimonies. Let's tell, let's gather the victories. Let's tell our kids and our grandkids and our great grandkids, if we have them, about the victories that God has wrought in our life. Hallelujah. I'm going to leave you with a uh, one final scripture, and I believe that that this is the reason that I'm preaching this message right now. Shaker, you. Are you ready to rock with the my soul? Okay. Second Timothy two twenty and twenty one. Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. When I was studying and prep, prepping for this uh, word, God gave me this, not because it necessarily fits with the word, but really because it fits with what God is commissioning you as men to do in this world today. You guys are being commissioned as vessels of honor suited to be utilized by the master out in the world that needs vessels of honor. Vessels of honor. I'm going to declare that over you. Um, um, at the end, uh, I'm, going to ask Shake, I'm going to ask Shake to do this song. Um, this song speaks to me not only because of the theme of this conference, but because it also reminds me that that we are unshakable if we gather our testimonies. 
we will be unshakable, unshakable, unmovable. We will be anchored because of what God has already done in our lives. And no matter what we see, no matter what we encounter, no matter what comes against us, we'll be anchored in God. So, Jake, I just ask you to take it away, brother. Then I'll pray at the end.